If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17. Habakkuk is one of the smaller books in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, if you're looking for it. Um, And I like this hymn. Um, Most of the book of Habakkuk is about God's justice. But I want to read these last three verses in the book of Habakkuk this morning. Um, I, I identify a whole lot with these three verses. And I think some of you may as well. <clears throat> I'll read it and then we'll go back and, and look at it more closely. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. So we know this is a hymn, a very short hymn that was given because we know at the end of it, it tells us that it was to the chief singer on the stringed instruments. And so that gives us the indication that this is something they would recite or sing. But I want to focus in for a while on verse 17. Now, I have spent probably three quarters of my life living in Louisville. And so I'm not the most agriculturally inclined person you've ever met. And some of you have grown up on the farm, and that's fine. Neither of it's good or bad. Uh, So sometimes it takes me a little bit longer to catch on when the Old Testament speaks about agricultural things. But I'd like to think that I still can learn. But it says, although the fig tree shall not blossom. Now we remember that this was written in the Middle East. And one of the things that they liked to eat out there was figs. But what happens if the fig tree does not blossom? You know what you don't have? You don't have figs. If the fig tree does not blossom, then you don't have figs. And what do people normally do with figs? They eat them. So he's saying here that if the fig tree does not blossom, it says, neither shall fruit be in the vines. Now we know that vines, it's talking about vineyards there. It's talking about grape vines. And if the vines, as it says here, if there shall be, neither shall there be fruit in the vines. So we, we think about this and we, we're talking about how there's no figs on the fig trees. And we're thinking about how there is no fruit on the vines. That means there's no grapes. So if there are no figs and there are no grapes, it says the fields, it says the labor of the olive shall fail. So what is this talking about? It's saying that if we don't have any figs, if we don't have any grapes, if we don't have any olives, these are all foods that were very common in the Mediterranean world at that time and probably still are today. Um... There's no olives. And so all of these these crops are failing. 
It says, and the fields shall yield no meat. Now, a lot of times in the King James Version, the word meat is also can be just understood as food. So, you know how, I, I don't have as ex, the experience that some of you have, but you, but you go out and you farm, you plow and you, and you plant, and then you have the crop, and then at the end of the season, you're hoping to be able to, to harvest the fruits of your labor. But he's saying here that when the fig tree is not blossomed, there's, not, there's no grapes, there's no olives, and the fields do not bring forth any food. In other words, there's no grain. There's nothing to eat from, the, from that. It says the flock shall be cut off from the fold. And the flock is referring to probably sheep here. But those are cut off from the fold. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. In other words, what is he saying here? He's saying, even if there is nothing to eat. That's pretty plain, isn't it? How many people here really had trouble finding something to eat this morning? Before you came, maybe somebody here has got, got problems and is, is, is having trouble with that. But I think most of us have had plenty to eat to this morning for breakfast. It may not have, some of us may have had really nice, elaborate breakfast, and some of us may have had some sort of Quaker oats or something, uh, or maybe just a little bit. We, I think all of us probably got to eat something this morning. But he's saying that even if food is unavailable, that's a very basic need. You know, we are so spoiled as Americans. We are used to it if you go, now I don't know what kind of grocery stores you have here. In Louisville we have a lot of Kroger's is what they call them. Um, But you go to the grocery store and nowadays you don't just have bananas, you've got bananas and you've got organic bananas. And you've got seedless red and seedless white grapes. And you've got so many different brands, bunny bread and, and, and um, the brand name bread and all these different breads that you've got available. You can, just, hmm, you can just stand there for 10 minutes figuring out what loaf of bread you want to eat. You go to, go to the frozen section and you've got the, the off-brand waffles and you've got the Eggo waffles. I mean, it just goes on and on. You can go to the toothpaste section and we don't even really eat toothpaste. How many different types of toothpaste do people need? I mean, you've got your tartar toothpaste and you've got your brighten your smile toothpaste and then you've got the kids toothpaste and the adults toothpaste and those people who work at the toothpaste company are all the ways trying to figure out a way to sell more toothpaste. And so they got to make it variety. And, and we have so many choices when we just go to the store. I remember when, when uh, the COVID phenomenon started and I would start to go to the grocery store and Denise, she wouldn't go because she's got such tremendous health problems and we didn't want to expedite her departure from this world. So I would go, if we had to go to Kroger, I would go to the grocery store and pick everything up And then she would have a list for me and she would say, and I want English breakfast tea from this company. And I was like, okay, I don't know if I can even find that, but even if it's there, I might miss it. But with COVID happening, I don't know what we're going to get. But she's got it figured out the exact kind of brand of tea that she likes to drink in the morning. And I'm like, wow, I just have a Diet Coke, you know. But even then, you got Diet Coke, Diet Pepsi, Diet Dr. Pepper, Diet Mountain Dew, all these different things you can have just within diet soda. 
And we get upset and distraught when we have to go to three different stores to find uh, toilet paper. Last year, it got to the point where there was a Walgreens on Dixie Highway that I'd never been to before, and they were overpriced, but I'd go there because I knew they'd have, I knew they'd have some toilet paper on a Saturday afternoon. We are so spoiled. And some little thing gets in the way and happens to us, and then we're teetering and tottering as to whether or not we're going to serve God the next day. I don't know if I want to go to church. That one person looked at me a little wrong or something, you know. We get so offended at such small little things. But Habakkuk here is telling us, he's saying, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olives shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat or food. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. There's nothing to survive on. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I think there is so much to that. And I want to dig into that more later. But he says, even if everything, even if we don't have enough food, I am still going to rejoice in God. And we have so much food or transportation or homes or apartments, uh, automobiles, video games. I don't know what we all, we have so much we go into debt so that we can get more of this stuff we don't even really need. And most of the time we get it. And if there's a supply chain issue, it's on the news for six weeks. Because we're so used to being able to get whatever we want, whenever we want it, and we get upset when we don't. If we're in line at McDonald's more than five minutes, we think there's something wrong with the world. And yet he's saying here, even if I don't have enough to live off of, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he, uh, we'll continue on with that verse in a moment. But I want to ask a question here. If you didn't have enough to eat, if you didn't have enough clothes to wear, if you didn't have some form of shelter, let alone an automobile or electricity or a car to drive to church in or anything like that, would you still rejoice in the Lord? Would you still thank God? Now you might say, well, what in the world would I have God to thank for? I need all my material stuff. I want to take a step back. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the world, we forget about the basics. I want to read something to be thankful about today. For those of us who know Christ, let's turn over to the Gospel of John. uh, And we'll read from chapter 10, starting in verse 14. John 10, 14, Jesus said this. He said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Mm. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You know, Jesus said He is the good shepherd. But He says there in verse 15, He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, I believe that the Scripture teaches that Jesus tasted death for every man as he died as a propitiation for the sins of the world. uh, That he died on the cross for everyone's sins. Regardless of how old they are, how young they are, whether they're country or urban or whether they're poor or whether they're rich or whether they're, 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 they're whatever it is, educated, uneducated, whatever color someone happens to be. I think a few years ago I came over here and I talked about for a while how that God isn't interested and doesn't mind what color people are or where their background is, but how that he cares about their eternal souls and that ought to be our outlook as well. And you know, by God's grace, it's interesting over at Lions, we've the last three people that we've baptized have all been Hispanics, immigrants. Who've had testimonies. God can do these things if you follow him. And it's not a race to see who's, who's got the most diversity. The world has its own standards, doesn't it? But we need the gospel to be available for everyone to hear it. But Jesus here is not speaking of just everybody. He speaks about his sheep. He says he lays down his life for the sheep. If you've been saved by God's grace, you are his sheep. And he is your shepherd. Now you may or may not be any good at following the shepherd, but that's the relationship. And he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. That means for those of us who know Christ, he laid his life down for us. I want you to think about that for just a little bit. What Jesus did at Calvary's cross. They beat him. They scourged him with whip. They mocked him. They took him and they nailed him to a cross. I want you to think about that for just a little bit. You know, the other day I was at the Bowling Green Youth Retreat, and we have enjoyed that uh, so much. And my niece got saved there back in 2019, and we're like, let's go again. Oh, it's good, isn't it? My niece... Her parents aren't married. Never have been, and God loves her. And she got in the the van with us with one of our other nieces, and we drove down there back in 2019. And, And both of my nieces were clearly under conviction, and one of them ended up telling she got saved. She said, can I borrow your phone? I want to call my dad. My my brother's name is Toby. It's confusing. And so I called Toby on the phone and Isabel, and I got to hear Isabel say, Dad, I got saved. And so that was wonderful. That was back in 2019, so they didn't have it in 2020. So in 2021, we went back, and I broke my finger this time. So we just have all kinds of memories there at the youth retreat. 
people getting saved and me breaking bones and all kinds of interesting things happen in Bowling Green. And, but I think about how much that hurt. I thought, man, I'm a real wimp. I thought I'd just smashed it, but it broken. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm a real wimp. I'm not much of a man. I need to walk this off. And then Dr. Collins looked at it and he's like, no, that's broken. And I'm like, oh, I feel a little better about being such a wimp in front of my daughter and my niece, you know, and the women. So, and it's, it's healing up, thank, thankfully, and that's good. But that hurt. Jesus came and he took the nails in his hands and in his feet, and he just hung there for quite a while. And when, you're, when someone was crucified, where is all the weight? When someone is crucified, it's on the hands and it's on the feet and not much else. And so in order to just keep breathing, a person, if I understand it correctly, has to push the weight up, which is putting all the weight on the hands, which are nailed. And then they have to go back down, which puts the weight back on their feet. Again, same problem. And all they do is go back from pain in the hands to pain in the feet, to pain in the hands, to pain in the feet. And most of the time, when people were crucified, they just died from not being able to breathe anymore. It became too much. And they mocked him when he was up there and said, if you're really the son of God, come on down and and, and rescue yourself. Save yourself. You know what? He could have. It said he could have asked for legions of angels to come down and to rescue him from off that cross, but he didn't. And he didn't for a reason. It's because he loves you. And you might say it's because he loves the world. Well, sure enough, but he loves you too. And he loves me. And I think about what all my parents had to do for me when I was a kid growing up. All the meals they had to provide and all the work and the overtime my dad had to do and I think about what all they had to do just to make things work when I was a kid. It is nothing but a drop in the bucket compared to what Christ did for me on Calvary's cross. He paid the price for all of your sins. Not some of them. Not a few of them. All of your sins. All the bad words you've ever said or thought... All the bad things that you've thought, the things that you've felt, the things that you've done, the things that you've said, the things that you should have done but you didn't do. He took all of it on the cross at Calvary for you. And if you are a child of God, the mere fact that your sins, not in part, but the whole, were nailed to the cross and you bear them no more because it is well, it is well with your soul. If that does not help you rejoice in our Savior and in our God, nothing will. He took it all on Him. All of our sins for you and you and these little ones and the oldest ones. Red, yellow, black and white. Jew, Arab, whatever category. We always categorize people too much, don't we? You had a room full of old nothing but older white men. We'd divide them up as to the rich older white men and the poor older white men. And then the educated versus the uneducated. And who owns property and who's still paying rent and whatever. We divide people. Jesus died for all of our sins. And in specifically, he died for me. And he died for you.
Isn't that wonderful that you can know that he has paid the price for your sins? He said, I laid down my life for the sheep. If you skip down to verse 17 again, it says, Therefore doth my Father love me. Why does the Father love Jesus? Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. Now when you read those four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it kind of almost reads like that Jesus was abused and taken and crucified against his will. You could read it that way if you're a newbie. Because they plot against him. They, they take him in the middle of the night. They have a, a mock, uh, basically a, fall, a, a faux trial. They're amongst the, the council. They take him. They, he goes back and forth between Herod and Pilate. And then the people yell out, crucify him, crucify him. Because they hated him. Because he was so holy. Because he was so righteous. Because he preached the truth of God's word. And the religious elite of that day looked at him and they made him, he made them look bad. And when your whole career is based on looking good in front of other people and someone comes along who's holier than you, you're going to hate that person. And they hated him. And it reads like, almost reads like that, that, that he had his life taken from him. But the truth is that Jesus is both man and God at the same time. And he fed the 5,000, didn't he? He walked on the water. He healed the lame and he allowed the, the dead to rise from the grave. I mean, Jesus did miracle after miracle. If he'd have wanted to, he could have snapped his fingers and all of his enemies would have fallen over dead in a moment. But he didn't do that. He had the power to say no, but he went ahead and endured it. He volunteered He did it of his own will. No man taketh from me, but I lay it down of myself. If Jesus allowed them to kill him. And I love this part here. I have power to lay it down. He did. And he used that power to lay it down. And it says, and I have power to take it again. I have power to take it again. I think about that, and I can't ever get my head around it, but I believe it completely. There's Jesus, dead, his body, dead, and they take it off the cross, and they give it over to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they put it in an unused tomb, and there the body is, and it's dead. And then Sunday morning, some of the women came over to, to anoint the body and to pay their respects. And they come and they see the angels. And the angels say, he's not here. He's risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And they, and they can see that he's gone. You know why he was gone? Is because he rose from the dead. And he lives evermore. He rose from the dead and we know that he walked among and many witnesses saw him. And that after that he ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. Friends, we serve a Savior who loves us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. And not only that, but he came back. 
I've seen a lot of people put in the grave. I haven't seen one of them come back yet. But on that day, it happened. We serve a risen Savior. We can go to Him today. You can, if you've been saved by His grace, you can talk to God and you'll be able to go through Jesus, the mediator, and He is alive today at the right hand of the Father. We serve a risen Savior. And so if, first of all, if you ask, why should we rejoice if everything else in our lives are falling apart? We can rejoice because we know Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins and the one who rose From the dead. In Romans 14 and 17, I'll just read one little verse here. Romans 14 and 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, before I was saved, before I came to know Christ that Easter Sunday in 1988, I did not have a good relationship with God. I was far apart from God. I was a sinner. I had broken His commandments. I had rebelled against Him. And then when I got to that age, I started coming to church and I could feel God convicting me of my sins and letting me know that I was lost and letting me know that I was on my way to hell. And that bothered me and that troubled me. And I kept putting it off. I thought, well, we'll dismiss church today and then we'll... Come back now. You know, I'll be fine once church is dismissed because this is where all this is happening. And we dismissed church. And then the next Sunday, we ended up in church again. And God continued to convict me of my sins. But there was a day on Easter Sunday, 1988, when church had dismissed and the people started going home. And everybody has things to do on Easter, or at least a lot of people do. And I was crying and I went to my mom. And she said, Tony, did what the preachers say bother you? And I said, yes. And my Aunt Lillian, you know, I'm amazed how some people, look, I don't believe in women preachers, but women have a role in the Lord's church. My little aunt, great Aunt Lillian, she died some years ago at 90 something, but she was one of those little women. She could eat as much as she ever wanted to, and she never got big. She was like this, this little bitty around all of her life that I knew her. But she came over to me and took me by the hand, and we went to the altar. And I began to pray, and I began to call upon God. And I don't know how long I was there, but there was a moment when God was no longer convicting me of my sins, but rather I experienced the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know to call it that even back then, but that is precisely what I was. You can have peace with God. People think, you know, I see this so often is people will say, well, repeat this prayer, sign this card, walk down the aisle and smile a little while, tell everybody that you've accepted Jesus into your heart. And yet there's not been any real change in the person's heart. There's not been any real conversion in their heart. They haven't been born again. They're just going through a ritual uh, to go through. You know, do you find anywhere in the New Testament when Jesus said, okay, those of you who are convicted of your sins, come down and sign these cards. You just go get them. Do you ever see in the New Testament where, 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 where Jesus said, okay, repeat this prayer and you're okay. It's not in there. 
I'll tell you what you will find. You'll find a lot of examples of time and a place when people got saved. And one time in particular, a woman came over to Jesus and, and she was a sinner and she knew it. And she came and began to pour her heart out to Christ. And she called upon God there at, at Jesus' feet. And she called, she didn't, how long does it take to pray? It just depends on the person. It could be one moment. Could be a long time. But that woman continued to pray and to ask for forgiveness until what? Until Jesus said, woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Friends, we need to tell, encourage people to seek the Lord until God lets them know that they have, that their sins are forgiven and that they can go in peace. We can't look into someone's heart and say, you've had enough faith, but you haven't. I got a phone. I'm the last, I exaggerate, but I must be the last man on earth that's got one of these phones. I really don't want the other kind. AT&T said you're changing or else. So I got to figure something. I'm going with another carrier, but there's no apps on this phone, but your phone probably has apps. There is no phone to go around. You've been saved and you haven't. You, you act like you're not, but yeah, you have been. And, you know, there's no app on a phone like that. Preacher doesn't have access to things like that. The deacon, the, the church doesn't have access to that kind of thing. But the Spirit of God can let you know when you've been saved. And there is peace, and there is joy, and there is love in the Holy Spirit. And it's the kind of peace and joy and love so that when the figs don't blossom and when the vines don't give forth their fruit and there's no food available from the harvest and there's no animals to kill and eat and when everything around you is falling apart to pieces because you're sick or your spouse is sick and you have to watch over them or your kids are making bad decisions or they're giving you trouble or your parents are in the home dying or or, or, or your job is horrible and they're going to uh, fire you soon or anything that goes on in life. Those are the moments, especially when those of us who are children of God, man, doesn't that peace of God that passes all understanding, isn't that just the most wonderful thing at those points? Those are the points when a lot of people go out and drink. Those are the points where a lot of people go out and find some chemicals to put in their body to make themselves feel a little better for a little bit of time. Those are the points when people start going off to the brothel or something like that. But the thing about it is, is that when we have peace from God through Jesus Christ, even when our lives are falling apart around us, we can have peace and joy. Aren't you glad for that today? How many times in my life my wife nearly died in 2013 from pulmonary hypertension. She still has it. She'll die with it. She nearly died in 2014 with it. She nearly died in 2015. I don't exaggerate on this. We have told each other goodbye so many times and we were just in our mid-30s. Two little kids. My kids are now 11 and 13. Back then they were really little. And yet, even when she was in the hospital 
And we said our goodbyes, and we were just kind of waiting to see if she'd live or die. And I'm going home, and the kids are asking, where's mom? When's she coming home? And you don't even know if she is. And yet you can get off in the backyard (laughs) and talk to God out behind the shed. You know, people think God ain't in the city. Oh, Jesus, come come visit me off Dixie Highway. (laughs) He's everywhere. And when you know him, he can give you that peace that you need. And you may not have all the answers you want right then, but he will walk with you through it. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, even when I've sinned and make mistakes and have to repent of them, and yet he's right there. He's like, I forgive you again. Come on. (laughs) And so there is peace in knowing Jesus Christ. So even if you're having trouble paying your rent or your mortgage or your bills, inflation is killing you like it is everybody these days or whatever it happens to be, you can find peace with God in Jesus Christ. It is available. God is sovereign. I want to talk about that. He's he's a God of providence. He's in control. Sometimes I don't. I, I am not um, a, a limited atonement guy, but I will say this: I do believe in God's sovereignty. I do believe that He is in control. You look at the Bible, just as we talked about with Jesus. From a natural viewpoint, it looked like He was doomed. They went out of their way to plot against him and to capture him and to take him. And they went and they killed him. And you know, that looked like that they were doing it to him, but really God was still in control throughout all of the wickedness that was going on. God does not the author of evil, but he's still in control. He's still in control. You look at Joseph back in the Old Testament about how that His brothers sold him into slavery. Was that wrong? Well, sure it was. Sell your brother into slavery? And then he got sold. He got thrown in the pit. They were going to kill him. Then they decided to sell him to the Ishmaelites. Then he goes off with the Ishmaelites. He ends up in Egypt. And he's a slave of Potiphar. But then Potiphar's wife ends up taking a liking to him. And starts to... um, Encourage him to commit adultery with her, and then he won't do it. And he was a young man, and and he had that temptation set before him time and time again, and he wouldn't do it. And then finally, he was falsely accused of having tried to take advantage of Potiphar's wife, and then thrown in for prison for something that he didn't do. And he goes through all of this, and yet God used that to where he would be able to tell the Pharaoh his dreams and their interpretation. He ended up being the right-hand man of Pharaoh and was able to save the Israelites from famine through all of that. But how do you think he felt when he was in jail for year five? For staying true and being accused of something that wasn't true. How do you think he felt when he got thrown in the pit by his brothers? Sold off into slavery. Probably felt horrible. Probably felt like his life was falling apart. And yet God was still sovereign. He's still in control. And sometimes God will allow us to go through things in life that are very hard. And they will test us to see just how much we can take sometimes. 
But what we have to do is keep holding on to him because he is sovereign. He knows everything. He is in control. And even when things are dark, he's still in control. I look at the way the world is now. Do you all ever watch the news? Man. Wow. Everything that's good they call evil. Everything that's evil they call good. Ten Commandments, throw them out. Make up a new set of stuff. Impose it on everybody. Some people, I think, who are very secular are more Puritanistic than the Puritans were. They're more demanding than some of the Puritans used to be. I think. Just in a different just from a different angle. But we live in a dark time. I mean, am I the only one who feels like we're in a dark time? God is still in control. Jesus is still risen. Your sins are still paid for. And the Spirit of God that dwells in your heart isn't leaving. And you know, we also think about this, and I'll probably close here in just a moment. I can never tell if I'm long, and I always am. But um, we have a clock at Lions. I just look up. Okay, you know, I'll go five past that maybe. But, but you know, it's really about the Spirit of the Lord, where He leads us. And, um, but I look in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I love this passage. I read it probably too often in my preaching, but it says, God, when, when, when at the end of time, when everything's said and done, and we enter into eternity, those of us who know Christ, it says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And as I look out today, or as I was in the other side of the, uh, the fellowship hall earlier, I saw some little ones running around and um, David and Megan, I mean, when did that thing, when did that little baby grow up so quick? I mean, where you feed that thing? <laughs> but my experiences with kids is that sometimes they'll cry. They'll stumble and they'll hurt their knee and it won't be necessarily all that serious, but it it upsets them, and they'll start to cry. And if you're there holding them, or her, and you take your th- thumb and you just wipe away their tears, and you hold them, and you tell them everything's going to be okay, that it's not that bad. And throughout all the things that we endure in this life, one day... 
In God's presence, I imagine it like that, that he's just going to come and wipe away the tears from our eyes and he'll let us know that everything's all right. Behold, all things have become new. There shall be no more death. Wow. Did you get that? There shall be no more death. Wow, he rose and he's going to take it all the way through. <laughs> I mean, there'll be no more dying in heaven. I, I, you know, I'm like this. This is how I am. You ever go to the funeral home and I, you've all done this and I'm not, pre, I'm not hating on you, okay? But like you go to the funeral home and there's the body in the box and if it's, if they, if it's an open casket and there's the body and... You said, you always hear this, right? Then they do a good job. Don't they look, don't they look beautiful? And I always bite my tongue. That don't look beautiful to me. I knew that person. That person was grandma. That person was my friend. That person was a little kid. There's no way you make that look good. I don't care how much makeup you apply and what kind of suit or dress you put that person in. I, it looks ugly to me. I mean, not that the person's ugly, but the whole thing about being dead, it's just ugly to me. And then we get rid of that body as soon as we can because we know it's just going to deteriorate. There's nothing pretty about that. Might be the prettiest box they had to offer at the funeral home, but it's, it's a box. And we only got to see it two or three days. And then it's gone under the earth. He said, there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow. Wow. I I can't even imagine life without it. Nor crying. Wow. My daughter hurt her finger. She thought she'd imitate me and she hurt her finger, but thankfully she didn't didn't, uh, break it. But we ended up taking her to the ER, but she's down there on the ground and her, her grandmother had slammed it on her finger and it hurt and or the door, the, the trunk door, slammed it on her finger. And, she, and I, I was still in the house, and I heard her crying. I thought, is that mine? And yeah, it was. And I you know, got something cold to put on it, and I went out, and she just reached out for me. And I went ahead and hugged her. I, just, I was still in my socks, but I didn't care. I just went down and hugged on her. She was fine. She'll be okay. But, you know, you hear that crying, and it, man, as a parent, that just wakes you right up. But there will be no more crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Mental, physical, psychological, emotional, put your adverb in front, you know, your adjective in front of it. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more uh, so-and-so went and served in the army and now he's got PTSD and he's going to have that for the rest of his life and he's going to have to learn how to deal with it, but that'll be gone. There'll be no more autism in heaven. There'll be no more Asperger's in heaven. There'll be no more Down syndrome in heaven. There'll be no more people missing limbs or missing body parts in heaven. Everybody will just be fine. Jesus, you know, he's not like he's going to stand up and say, anybody got any prayer requests today? <laughs> Nobody will have one. 
go preach at this church in West Virginia. I used to go out there pretty often. I didn't know how that few people could have that many prayer requests last for 25 minutes. Like less than 10 of us in any given day. And they could go on for 25 minutes with prayer requests. On that day, Jesus isn't going to say, anybody got any prayer requests? Y'all pay, pray for the apostle Peter. He's been getting into mischief. Nothing like that at all. It's going to be wonderful. No jails. No prisons. No funeral homes. No need for nursing homes. Or assisted living homes. Or doctors. Or hospitals, and nobody's going to ever have to take a COVID test again. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. But you know what the center of the whole thing is going to be? Is Jesus Christ. I look forward to seeing some people when I get there. The older I get, the more people I know who are, who are there. Just the list keeps getting longer. Eventually, I'll be on somebody else's list. But I look forward to the fact I get to see some loved ones that I knew here in this life who were saved by God's grace. But I look forward to seeing my Savior. I really do wonder what He looks like. I think about these things. He was Jewish. He was living in the Middle East. He's probably more tan than me. He probably had a pretty good beard. Probably a bit shorter than I am because we eat better than they did back then. And you try to figure it all out and then you know, I don't know. But I know he's going to have marks on his hands and on his feet. And he's going to be the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And when they ask me, why do you belong here? I can just point to him. He did it for me. I was just had, by God's grace, enough sense to repent and put my faith in him when I was lost. There's no bragging rights in the plan of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could work your way to heaven, we'd all be bragging about it. Not only am I getting to heaven, but I'm getting a good seat. Because I'm better than you. That's not how it is. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when we repent and put our faith in Christ, He saves us. And so when we get there, everybody's just going to be a testimony to the grace of God. And there won't be all this strife. Man, you know, even good churches will have a little bit of that now and then. How many churches this this past last year or the year before had to fuss over? How are we going to do COVID? I want to wear a mask and you don't want to wear a mask and vice versa. And we need to spread out. But do we need to spread out? And do we have enough room? And should we tape every other? In heaven, there won't be any of that. Everybody just get along. Everybody will just get along. And you won't have people saying, I'm not going to sit next to that person because they're black or they're vice versa anymore. You hear it on the, all the time. You know, we need to just, I don't want to deal with that person because he's white or whatever it is that people have gotten in their mind. It's just going to be us and Jesus. When those Hispanic people joined over at Lions, and I called my friend Elisa over at Lions, and I said, Well, you know, when we and they do, when it's us and them, I referred to the church as us and them as them even though they had joined. And I said, Elisa, 
It's not us and them anymore. It's just us. And I've got to stop referring it to them as that. Because they is us. And we is them. And we're all going to go be with Jesus sooner or later anyway. (laughs) And so if you're here today... Even though you don't get everything you want, even though you got problems in life, you'll be able to rejoice in the Lord. He says, the Lord is my strength and he will make my feet to be like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. You know, I read this forever to figure this out, but a hind is like a deer. And so I got to looking at deer on the internet, on YouTube, and you can watch these things run. People take pictures of videos of deers running. It's just weird to me. But they do. And they have these little feet. But they just go anywhere and everywhere so quickly. Right up the hill, down the hill. Saw one cross my path on the way here. Back in Louisville, actually. Just ran right across my car. Right in front of my car. Thank goodness not into my car. But they're so quick and they're so nimble. And you know what I think this is saying? I think this is saying that when the terrain is bad, that we'll still be able to get through it like a deer tromping through the woods in the difficult places because God is our strength. And he doesn't say in the Bible that you won't have hard times. It says the opposite. It says you will have hard times, but he will be with you if you've been saved by his grace. So if you're here today and you haven't been saved by God's grace, the Bible says we need to repent. We need to put our faith in him. This church would encourage you to call upon the Lord to pray until he lets you know that you've been saved. If I tell you you've been saved, that ain't worth a nickel. In fact, I'd rather have a nickel. But if God lets you know that you're right with him, then that's the most, nobody can take that away from you.